Blog Talk Radio. And good evening, everyone, and welcome to another special edition of the Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show. It is the 2023 U.S. Open Cup Round 3 Review Show as we discuss everything that happens in the third round of the 2023 Lamar Hunt U.S. Open Cup. And what amazing matches did we have Ladies and gentlemen, amazing matches to be seen, and so many wonderful matches to be watched as we discuss everything, everything going on with the U.S. Open Cup. And having all this wonderful moments here with the U.S. Open Cup, it's just been unbelievable. And we will get going here um, in just a few moments here, just trying to make sure everyone can hear me and listen to me. As we get ready uh, to talk about this, you know, some great matches today, or shall I say, uh, in the third round of the U.S. Open Cup, as we saw plenty of action, plenty of uh, excitement, and plenty of wonderful moments coming through and all you can really say is is that this was probably one of the better open cup match rounds we have seen you know i got to give credit to st louis city sc selling out their open cup match at city park or at city stadium a, a, a record of over 22,000 people over at the brand new facility. It has just been unbelievable to see what we have witnessed and how it was done. And all you can do is just marvel at the amount of people who are able to get to the stadium and the amount of people able to see that match also i want to give a shout out to cbs sports uh 
for CBS Sports, uh, their soccer department, their Golazo network for what they did. Unbelievable what they have done. It's just been amazing. Absolutely amazing what they were able to do. Amazing what they were able to just find a way. Find a way to get three matches um three matches to be broadcasted and three matches that were, you know, done so well. It's just amazing, amazing to see that situation happen. They came in to fill in for Turner, who were able to find a way to just get those games ready, have everything ready to go. And once again, it's a situation where you have to say that for for us watching this Open Cup, it has just been amazing, amazing to see, amazing to witness, and it's just been absolutely a lot of fun, a lot of fun. Moving on, a lot of fun with Open Cup games. And, you know, for the first time in six match days between the second and the third round of the U.S. Open Cup, we had no penalty kick shootout until we got to the third round. And on the second match day of the third round, we get there, and my goodness, we get two matches that finished in the penalty kick shootout. We'll get to oh, excuse me. We'll get to both of them later on in the show. But obviously, ladies and gentlemen, just amazing things, amazing stuff, and what an amazing time to be alive when you're watching the Open Cup. And once again, you have those lower level teams fighting, scratching and clawing for anything and everything. To get into the next round. Late goals galore. Scoreless throughout the match. Until you get to maybe 10 minutes remaining. 15 minutes remaining in the match. In regulation time. And then bam. Comes a huge. A huge. Opportunity. For those Open Cup teams. For those teams in the Open Cup I should say. To go out. And to have a big moment, a very, very big moment to try and knock off an MLS team. Two MLS teams were absolutely in there, and they are done and out on their first attempt in the third round, one and done. And we will get into those situations uh, in just a moment, obviously, when we get to it. But obviously, folks, This has been amazing. This has been exciting. These games are wonderful to watch. And, of course, as we talk, go back once again, when you talk about St. Louis City, off to a great start in MLS, you wonder how they would do in the Open Cup. 
and without any issues whatsoever, a 5-1 victory over Union Omaha. Of course, a little help from an own goal by Union Omaha in the 48th minute. But St. Louis City being run by Bradley Cardinal, just absolutely running rough shot all over the place. Running rough shot all over the place and finding ways to go out and doing a job. Doing a job and just going out and dominating. Congratulations to Tulsa Athletic. Even though they did get eliminated by Sporting Kansas City three goals to nil, they are the furthest to advance in the national leagues of American soccer to earn the $25,000 cash prize. Uh, Tulsa Athletic of the NPSL, they are the ones that went out there and absolutely did a job. Absolutely did a job. Very, very happy for them. Very excited for them. And once again, it was just fantastic to see. How about once again, the Dirty River rivalry, the Dirty River Derby between FC Cincinnati and Louisville City. Big rivals in USL before Cincinnati moved in into Major League Soccer. And now they're back together again in an Open Cup. And unfortunately for Louisville, they just can't seem to find that magical touch to beat Cincinnati in the Open Cup. I believe this is 0-3 right now for Louisville City. And they have had success in the Open Cup themselves. No doubt about they have had success themselves. But when it's Louisville, Kentucky taking on Cincinnati, Ohio, and the Ohio River separates the two states and especially those two cities, you are going to get a big-time rivalry between the two cities, especially in the college game with University of Louisville and, of course, Cincinnati in Ohio, University of Cincinnati. So you're going to get those moments. And let me just say this right now. That was a great moment. Sadly, they could not get the game-winning goal, uh, Louisville, but they went out and did a job. They went out and did a job, and they had to do what they had to do. Um, games ending in extra time. Once again, Las Vegas Lights hosting Real Salt Lake, and both teams trading goals in extra time, but it would be Salt Lake, Real Salt Lake, that would get the victory in extra time on a 3-1 victory. Just amazing. Portland Timbers, um, a little bit of a scare at times, but they were able to handle Orange County with a 3-2, excuse me, with a 3-1 victory in the third round. And of course, Sacramento Republic, are they on the march again to get to the final? They got a third round win over Oakland Roots with a 1-0 victory as Nicholas Ross knocks out their USL championship rivals. And we're just seeing fantastic moments, fantastic action coming through. And it's just wonderful, absolutely wonderful to see what we are seeing here with the U.S. Open Cup. Give those teams in USL League One, in NISA, USL League Two, 
and the amateur level, give them credit for fighting to challenge those teams above them in Major League Soccer as well as USL Championship. That, my friends, is what you want to see in cup competitions. That's what you want to see when you get to those moments in open cup play. You want to see action. You want to see these teams fighting against each other. You want to see something wonderful, and you have it with, uh, with what's been going on with the Open Cup, and hopefully, hopefully, um, we'll get more action like that in the fourth round. But let me just say this right now. Let me just say this right now. I really think we have ourselves uh, some great games later on in the fourth round in about a week. The rest of Major League Soccer coming into play. USL championship teams surviving, advancing into the next round. Those MLS teams entering the third round. They are now in it. It's just been absolutely fantastic to watch what's going to happen in the Open Cup. I personally cannot wait. I cannot wait. This is exciting. This is a lot of fun. As we always get this opportunity to check out these lower-level teams facing the big boys now in Major League Soccer. And now those teams who have qualified for the CONCACAF Champions League this current tournament and the next four best teams, two in the East, two in the West, in the standings of the Supporters' Shield, as well as make the playoffs in the Eastern and Western Conferences of Major League Soccer, those teams are now going to enter in the fourth round of the U.S. Open Cup. And then we get to the fifth round draw and then the quarterfinals. This is going to be exciting. This is going to be a lot of fun. I personally cannot wait till we get to this next round, this which will be next Tuesday and Wednesday on May the 9th and the 10th. This is going to be fun. This is going to be exciting. And I cannot wait to have conversations with these people who are coming in. Joining me right now, from uh, covering the Pittsburgh Riverhounds for Pittsburgh Soccer Now, the one and only John Krasinski joining me right now. John, how are you? And congratulations on the Riverhounds, a 2-0 victory to advance into the fourth round. Well, we're in Pittsburgh. We're still uh, talking about playing against MLS teams, so that's, uh, that's always an exciting thing here. So, yes, absolutely. The Bob Lilly and the Riverhounds get a chance to take on New England Revolution, uh, and uh, I don't think the only – the big, big, big disappointment was uh, we're running a streak now. It's eight years. We still haven't seen an MLS team here in Pittsburgh. But other than that, I think they're excited about the opportunity. No, I think so, and why not? And I look, I understand what you're saying. You know, the draw was not in your favor, unfortunately, even though, I, you know, look, you'd like to see it be in your favor every once in a while. But, um, you know, New England at the moment, uh, not a bad opponent this season, especially in league play. They're definitely going to be uh, a tough nut to crack. But, you know, that'll be for, next, for the next round, and we'll see what happens moving forward. 
Absolutely, yeah. Uh, but, you know, the hounds, uh, you know, it, more than anything, this may sound like, um, you know, coach speak, but Bob Lilly, uh, Riverhounds coach, was was really just actually disappointed they couldn't play the third-round match. The fact that they got the forfeit win to advance against Rochester, uh, no longer Rochester, um, which would have been a fun match in a lot of ways because Bob used to coach the Rochester Rhinos and Rochester FCNY um, was to be, or NYFC was supposed to be, you know, kind of a an extension of the Rhinos franchise. And, uh, but, uh, you know, that, that didn't happen obviously. And um, of course now they had an opportunity to play Maryland. And I think it was good because Bob was real disappointed because they, they, a lot of it, the Hounds second, you know, line uh, players, you know, a lot of the backups early in the season haven't had a lot of opportunity to kind of show what they can do. Uh, so this this last match against Maryland, two nothing win. I think that was a, that was really the overriding theme after the match. That oh, we finally got a look at some of these guys. No, I agree with you there, and that was the one thing I wanted to ask you about because with the whole situation that happened with Rochester, New York FC, um, that was very. I understand that Bob was very disappointed. Obviously, on a personal level, he did win a USL Championship title with them a couple of years ago. Um, what, what did that make for you? Like, what, did you think that would be a problem for this Riverhounds team being ready for the next round, even though they never played in that second round? I mean, I just think in terms of the team's journey into 2023, the 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 fact that um, they were right now they're what nine weeks into their league season, so eight weeks into the league season, they finally had an open cup game, and they did. It would have been the first real opportunity since preseason to see a lot of these, you know, like I said, the going from on the depth chart probably you know 12. To 22 to get a chance to see some of these guys in extended play, not just like coming off the bench for, you know, five minutes or even 20 minutes, but, but seeing what they can do in a 90 minute match. And that's how Bob Lilly operates in terms of open cups. I mean, you can't argue with success. I mean, the man has never in all his years coaching at this level has never lost to a lower division team. I mean, it's a phenomenal record. And he knows what he's doing, and you know. But he also uses those matches to get a good look at some of his players, at least in the first when they're playing lower division teams, uh, to get a good look at a lot of these guys. And 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 I think the other thing is a good coach maximizes the players that he has uh, and gets them into opportunities where they can be successful. And in this case, I think that was you know that happened. Burke Falling is a guy who. You know, played a couple of years in Charleston and, you know, he's got some minutes through USL championship, but hasn't been able to break really much into the Hounds starting lineup early in the season. But he really had a terrific game against Maryland. I think he showed why he's a valuable player for this club and can 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 be used, uh, you know, as a spot starter in league play. But but he really came through uh, in the Maryland match and, and got the game's um, second goal but was very active um, throughout the match and really creating chances. Mm -hmm. No, I agree with you there, and that was a fun one to watch. Um, Talking about Maryland Bobcats, 
how dangerous were they? And, and, you know, they were really tough on you guys until the 81st minute uh, when Kizza scored the opening goal. Yeah, they were – the thing about Maryland was they they were um, – you know, they had a couple players, I think, that presented some problems uh, in kind of in the midfield and on the width. And the Hounds were pretty well in control in terms of possession. But I, I think that – I think Maryland really was looking – they were looking for their moments and their opportunities on the counter – and they got them. They got a couple. And what happened was, you know, the Hounds controlled the first half, but then early in the second half, you know, there was it was one of those typical scenarios. Is, you know, the match, the more you hang around the match and you have enough quality, uh, a team like Maryland, you know, did, you know, had a few opportunities there, especially early in the second half where uh, they made a, uh, they were a couple nervous moments for the Hounds. That, that was the um, – you know, that was the thing kind of woke up Pittsburgh a little bit because, you know, they, it was Darwin Espinal, the guy that I really – I was watching him most of the match, former Rowdy. You know, he's one of those few veterans on that Maryland team. But you could see, you know, you couldn't – he squeezed past a couple of Hounds def, uh, defenders. I think it was in the 57th minute. Uh, got through and had a clear shot at goal. And, you know, Jeff, uh, Jeff Garner, Christian Garner, the goalkeeper, not Jeff Garner, the president of Riverhounds. I always get them mixed up. Uh, Christian Garner in the second start of the season made a nice save there to deny um, Espinal. But, you know, the Hounds had to go to their bench at that point and got some fresh faces into the game. And I think that helped make a difference and turn the tide. Again, their depth was a little bit better than Maryland. Um, and eventually it was just a matter of time. You know, I think they, they were breaking through, they were pressuring. Maryland just didn't have enough of those opportunities, but they definitely had confidence knowing, Hey, look, if we can keep the zero zero, we, we, we're going to get a few chances. And they, they came real close there. And that's always the magic of the open cup. You know, I, I haven't done this in a while, but because a lot of times the games are usually in hand against the lower division teams tweeted during the second half, you know, while it was still zero zero. It's like last time the Hounds lost a home match in the open cup against the lower division team was 2016 against Lansdowne boys. And, you know, I think the steel army didn't appreciate that tweet, but uh, we had some fun with that. Look, there's got to be some brutal truth somewhere in the history of the Open Cup for the Hounds. So, I mean, what are you going to do? You're going to have to accept that. We don't like that. Well, tough. That's It's in the record books. There's nothing you can do about it. Um, <laughs> you know, Bob You know, Bob Lilly, um, I, I would say this because, you know, if there wasn't, an, if there wasn't a Major League Soccer uh, first division and USL Championship would be, you know, someone would say to me, you know, who would you pick uh, to be a, a, a head coach for the men's national team in the future if there was no MLS? And I would have picked actually Bob Lilly, him or Bill Betcher, who, of course, you remember Harrisburg City Islanders. Yeah, those are one of the two. Those are one of the two I would have picked for the U.S. men's national team if they ever got that opportunity. And, you know, Bob Lilly, once again, has brought his magic to Pittsburgh, uh, especially in USL. I mean, I think he's done a phenomenal job with the Riverhounds. Yeah, I think it's an interesting uh, takeaway, and I think that's uh, something that, you know, we've amongst our circles in Pittsburgh, I'm sure in Rochester, I'm sure a lot of those people who've come across Bob over the years, I think there's a certain aura of respect in the coaches in the USL Championship. I mean, they've done, they've done surveys of all the coaches 
in the championship. And time after time, Bob always ends up at the very, very top of the list when other coaches are talking about, like, who they least want to game plan against, who they don't look forward to coaching against, you know, that type of thing, and who they have ultimate respect for as a tactician, as someone who, you know, has had success and all those different things. And that's a testament to Bob. And, you know, there's interesting nuggets there with the U.S. men's national team. Bob obviously is well connected to the Polistic family, of course, because he's, uh, you know, Christian's grand, grand um, sorry, godfather and, you know, and, and very, very, very close to Mark Polistic. Uh, and so that that's an interesting angle uh, in its own, of course, and I may even be a reason why he probably wouldn't be uh, considered a, a candidate. Um, you know, I don't know, conflict of interest, but who knows? But but uh, truth be told, I mean, I, I think he's someone who would do really well uh, with an opportunity to coach the UN's men's national team if if a certain um, I don't know if if it called for that type of coach. You know what I'm saying? Like sometimes you know. Uh, Players, coaches are yep. needed for sometimes. Sometimes somebody who's just going to be extremely hands-on, detail-oriented, uh, control all aspects of what uh, what needs to be done with the with the program from top to bottom. And that's what Bob. One of the things that he can do at this second level. It's hard to do that because in MLS you've got general managers, you've got you know you've got personnel scouting departments, you got a lot of things. I mean, and at the USL championship level, it's, you know, somebody who has the background, the knowledge, the, the experience that he has, uh, you know, it's Riverhounds owner, Tuffy Schallenberg pretty much entrusts Bob to run the show and, and he's got some good assistance with him, but it, it, it everything pretty much goes through Bob, <laughs> you know, when it comes to, how the the team is operates and 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 the way they the way they go about their business. No, absolutely. And look, I mean, look, if if I was owning a club in American soccer, whether regardless of which division it's in, you know, if I want a guy that I trust or who I believe can get the job done, obviously it's Bob Lilly. Without a doubt, I would entrust him with my club right off the bat and um you know, get on a good run, whether it's in the regular season, in the playoffs, or in the Open Cup. I just think uh, Bob Lilly is that type of manager. Yeah, he. I mean, it's it'll be interesting though with with how things transpire with this game in New England. They the Hounds have to travel to Monterey. I mean, the schedule makers haven't been friendly to the Hounds this this early part of the season. So out of their first what eight league games they played six on the road um not easy they're going to be playing number nine on on friday night and then they've got to turn around and go right across the country and play on tuesday night play in new england so i don't even know if there's a stop back in pittsburgh or not um i know the previous year when they played in cincinnati it was easter weekend and they played las vegas uh they played las vegas on saturday night Las Vegas on a Saturday night, okay, and then had to turn around and catch the red eye to Cincinnati, I think, that went through, like, you know, first thing uh, Sunday night into Monday morning and then play Tuesday. And so I'm sure there will be some sort of similar 
similar uh, travel scenario, uh, which is also a challenge of the Open Cup uh, for these teams. And the Hounds have been out west a lot, uh, or central and mountain time zones already this season. So um, extra challenge for this club because, you know, they, they're, they're just – they've been traveling all over the country. And um, so I, I think that will make it even more difficult uh, to face New England uh, that Tuesday night. But, hey, I mean, they, they – I think they'll they'll play with nothing to lose, that's for sure. Absolutely. I wouldn't expect anything less from them or especially a Bob Lilly team. I think they will do well. New England is going to be a difficult one, obviously. They've got a pretty good goalkeeper in Veroni, but once again, we'll find out what happens, and it should be a fun time. John, as always, thank you for joining me tonight. Good luck in the next round, the Open Cup over at Gillette against the New England Revolution, and uh, have a good night. And uh, I can't believe the Pirates are actually going to have a good start to this season. What the hell happened? Yeah, I mean, hey, brace the Jolly Roger. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, we'll take it. We'll absolutely take it. Uh, it's a breath of fresh air, and the fact that Andrew McCutcheon is part of it, I mean, that's, that makes it even more special. That's what it has to be. McCutcheon came back to Pittsburgh, and now they're having a magical season. It has to be McCutcheon. Why not? John thanks, again for jo- John, thanks again for joining me, and uh, have a good night, and hopefully talk to you again in uh, the next Open Cup match. All right. Sounds good. Take care, Daniel. Thank you. That's John Krasinski, Pittsburgh Soccer Now. Follow him for anything and everything Pittsburgh soccer related with the Riverhounds, Steel City FC, and of course, Collegiate Soccer, men's and women's. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's absolutely great to have him on the show. And it's just great to talk about uh, Pittsburgh soccer with him. Haven't talked to him much about it or enough with him about it, but obviously... This, my friends, is one of the best in all of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, as we get ready to talk more. The Open Cup here, ladies and gentlemen, as we get ready to talk to one of my colleagues, of course, you know him, you know him for, of course, great soccer talk. And that is, of course, my colleague from World Soccer Talk, Carter Krishnire. But this time, we're going to talk some Open Cup because he watched the first ever Miami Classico between Miami FC of uh, USL Championship and Inter-Miami of MLS. And boy, did that one not disappoint Kardik. You know, you head over down to Roberto Silva Stadium on the campus of FIU. And, uh, man, oh, man, we all thought there was going to be a cup set. Not so, but great action in front of you and everyone in Miami to see two of the best professional sides in South Florida. Yeah, uh, it was pretty, uh, pretty exciting. I mean, um, this, the thing that has happened the last several years down here, Daniel, is that we've had a number of head-to-head matchups between – uh, teams in South Florida in the early rounds of the Open Cup, which has been very exciting. Obviously, you mentioned the Miami Classico. Uh, we had the same matchup last year. We had a matchup. We've had matchups multiple times between Miami United and Miami FC. Uh, we've had Florida Soccer Soldiers and Miami FC. Obviously, that was a huge upset a couple of years ago. Talking about a cup set. Um, Palm Beach Stars uh, uh, taking on uh, Miami FC, uh, et cetera. We've had some, we've had some great 
uh, showdowns even going back uh, to the days of uh, of the Fort Lauderdale Strikers. So the Open Cup is something that that um, it, this is it, it's hard to quantify because I know in some places the Open Cup isn't as big a deal as the MLS regular season or the USL regular season, right? But that's not the case down here. Um, maybe it's because we had uh, two of the, the, the great Cinderella runs, right, from, from Miami United in 2018 and Florida Soccer Soldiers in 2019. Uh, maybe it's because we have the, two of the most memorable recent runs of lower division professional teams until Sacramento made the final last year, right? Um, uh, Fort Lauderdale Strikers in 2016, uh, knocking off two MLS teams before falling in the quarterfinals, and Miami FC uh, in 2017, knocking off two MLS teams before falling in the quarterfinals. So, um, and by the way, in the quarterfinals, they lost to Cincinnati, who then lost to your side, the Red Bulls, uh, in the semis. But the Open Cup is a big deal down here, and that's why you get good attendances for Open Cup games. Uh, uh, This was the biggest crowd in Miami FC history at Ricardo Silva Stadium at FIU, uh, over 12,000. The second biggest crowd was for an Open Cup game uh, against Atlanta a few years ago. Um, Miami United's biggest crowd uh, they're, a, they're an NPSL team, or actually they're not playing an NPSL this year. They're playing in a league called NSL, an actual league called NSL that plays, not this, uh, uh, you know, I don't even want to get into it tonight, man. You know, that other thing that is, seems to be. We uh, know, we know. We'll get to that next week, yeah, though. Yeah, but, yeah. yeah, I know what you're talking so, but about. But Miami, yeah, right. Well, we'll save that for another time. But Miami United um, had thousands of people when they played Orlando City uh, in, a, in, in a cup game. And, um and when I worked for Fort Lauderdale, some of our better attendances were in Open Cup games. So um, it's a it, it, it's sort of a thing down here, and I'm pretty um, pretty upbeat about the awareness it brings locally to sides uh, uh, and uh, and outside of MLS and, and the rivalries it's created. And and, and it was uh, quite an atmosphere last uh, Wednesday night. That's great. You know, that, that's wonderful to hear. Love how the Open Cup is being treated down in Miami, in the South Florida area. It's just beautiful to see. And, you know, the, the big thing that at first I thought um, local Miami, of course, broadcasted the match. Um, the, Miami's local television station was also on Pluto TV, was broadcasting the match. And then CBS. CBS Sports Nationally on their Paramount Plus app, even through their Pluto TV uh, app, on the Pluto TV app on their channel, also broadcasted the match. I was shocked and so happy to see CBS Sports, the Galazzo Network, picking up one of the three matches to broadcast for the Open Cup American Soccer audience. That was just unbelievable. Yeah, and, and uh, uh, credit to Miami FC. In, in the interest of full disclosure, I worked uh, in that my in the Miami FC organization for a number of years, as maybe many of your listeners realize. And I also worked for the owner Ricardo Silva for uh, a couple of years separately from my work with Miami FC. So I, I'm I, I, I'm admittedly somewhat biased towards them. So, uh, but I will say credit them uh, for getting this game on local television. So they got it on CBS Miami on the local CBS. Uh, own station. It's not even an affiliate. Uh, CBS owns the, their station in the Miami Fort Lauderdale market, um, and uh, therefore there was a CBS local CBS broadcast happening already. So the game gets picked up uh, by CBS uh, 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 Sports and uh, and the Galasso Channel. And uh, of course, 
I have to give a lot of credit to uh, uh, to, to the other clubs that got on. Obviously, Charlotte FC and, and, and Portland Timbers uh, for the Portland Orange County games, um, and, and and the Charlotte match um, as well. So that's uh, that's great news for for, for, for soccer. Um, but I, I have to say this, Daniel, and I know maybe this is not this might irritate some fans of, of MLS, but the door for Miami FC to have this uh, this um, this relationship with uh, the CBS station in Miami, because I, uh, I I worked at the organization. We were able to get our, our clips on, on local sports news, and then obviously before that I worked for Fort Lauderdale, same thing. Actually, Fort Lauderdale got covered more by the local Miami Fort Lauderdale news stations than we got covered at Miami FC. I think the striker's name you know, still has a lot of currency in this market. Um, but the reason why Miami FC is now on the Miami Fort Lauderdale CBS station is because – um, of the Apple TV deal. And uh, because MLS has taken its games off of local broadcast channels and local RSN, um, there are USL teams. Miami FC is not the only one, but, uh, but since you mentioned this specific match, I, I wanted to bring it up. Uh, USL teams have been able to get onto local uh, channels that used to show MLS games. Um, I still like the Apple TV deal for MLS. There's a lot we can talk about about that in the future, but understand that the door was open for this match to be broadcast because of the MLS Apple deal, which has then uh, created a relationship, uh, allowed a relationship to build between um, Miami FC and the CBS station locally. Absolutely, and that's great to see. But in this game, what action do we have early on fireworks, third minute, Christian Sordo puts in an early, early goal in the third minute, and right off the bat, everybody's thinking cup set because that goal was just tremendous by him, and he buries it early, and that goal just basically kept the lead all the way through the match. What was that for you when you saw that happen, Kardec? Yeah, so, so uh, um, uh, and again, I'm going to say us, uh, our, our starting striker, uh, from Miami FC, Kyle Murphy is out, and he, he got hurt in the previous round of the Open Cup against Jacksonville, um, and that was an injury. I, I was concerned. Miami FC is having trouble scoring goals in USL. If those of you who follow USL uh, realize we've scored uh, seven goals this season, four of them were in one match. So uh, we scored three goals in the other six matches in the league, right? Half a goal a game. So we, we're having uh, we're having trouble scoring goals in league play, and we're without our number nine in Murphy. So what you have is uh, Sorto, uh, uh, Repetto got this because of, um, because of Murphy being out, and Valet Valo is playing uh, a little further, Florian, a little further forward. He's played often as a 6 or an 8. Uh, it looks like Pulis is using him more as a 10 now in this setup. So you have a triangle of attacking players working really well together, and that helps set up that first goal for Sorto. And then I thought, even though uh, Inter-Miami had most of the possession after that, they really didn't threaten us until the last 10 minutes of the game. And um, I thought um, uh, that they were, um, they were very static, right, in their midfield movement, and we felt very comfortable defensively. Paco Craig had a really good game uh, for Miami FC. Uh, unfortunately, I, uh, the guy I think may be our top defender this year, Paco Craig, Historically, he's been the best defender for Miami FC, or best defender in USL. But 
the guy who's been really good for us early in the season, uh, Callum Chapman Page, who's actually a player I, I when I worked for Miami FC back in uh, back when Miami FC was in Nisa, he was with us um, in the third division several years ago. Um, he's a great, really good player. He was out for this game, and, and the defense uh, sort of wore down as the match went on. Moises Hernandez, I think, made a mistake on that goal. So they equalize 1-1, and we go to extra time. Yep, exactly. And extra time, boy, that was crazy as well, because I thought, here comes Inter-Miami giving Miami FC probably one of the biggest gifts You'll ever see an own goal in extra time by DeAndre Yedlin. I didn't think, you know, a national team player like DeAndre Yedlin would ever do anything like that. But unfortunately for them, uh, he helped out at uh, Miami FC in the, uh, in the 116th minute. And then all of a sudden, two minutes later, it's Ryan Saylor who chips it in and it's tied again at two. That was just craziness. Yeah, dramatic couple minutes. And Yedlin, um, I, I feel bad for Yedlin because what, this is something you see often in matches that are stretched in cup matches in extra time. A defender with the pace that Yedlin has trying to get back because uh, the other team is on a counterattacking breakaway. And that momentum carries him into the ball and he puts it past this keeper, right? It, it, it happens. It's, it's a, yes, it's a mistake, but it's, it's a mistake I can emphasize with. I, I really feel sorry for Yedlin. I've seen it uh, in FA Cup matches. You know, same sort of uh, circumstances in the Champions League in Europe, like extra time, things happen when matches are stretched. Great goal by Saylor. Uh, Miami FC led off defensively there. I think um, defending a little too deep. And then, speaking of Yedlin, right before the death, right before we went to uh, Penn, he had... Uh, a shot from a tight angle that would have been a worthy winner for in any match. Um, almost really atoned for this unfortunate error of his earlier. Um, but we went to uh, to Penns, and, and uh, I, I have to point out, before we get, you, you set the stage for penalties, Murphy's already out for Miami FC, right? Repetto and Soto yep. both got hurt during the match. So Miami FC is with three of their four best kick takers. Valo would be the other one. So three of the four guys who, um, well, you have five penalties, but three of the, the first four that would take penalties, I think uh, you, you don't have. Now, ironically, the, the fifth guy I would put on that list would be Telfer, and he's the guy who missed. But yeah, go ahead and talk about that. Well, I mean, you know, look, I mean, you're going to penalties. Um, it, it's, you know, everyone's converting in first first three rounds. Jean Mota makes it 4-3. And, yeah, you can talk about Telfer. Um, I know he was trying to go for the upper 90 there on the far corner, but that was just heartbreak for Miami FC right there. Yeah, uh, Telfer, a player, really high-end player, obviously long-time MLS player, uh, full international right, a really good player in CONCACAF international. Um, So a guy, uh, it can happen to anyone, right? It's a crapshoot, and I even wrote that in my post game, which I, I know... Uh, you saw Daniel, if you contribute to, to, to Beyond the 90 as well, um, that I, it could have, I don't want to critique Telfer trying to blast the hole in the net uh, upper, uh, uh, upper far corner because um, it can happen to anyone. He, he's an accomplished professional and tends to a crapshoot. Um, Zendeja came close to saving a few, but ultimately didn't. Um, but it was, a, um, it was really an interesting uh, – 
uh, atmosphere because I, I, I think what what seems to be happening locally is because of the Apple TV deal, Miami FC is in front of more eyes uh, versus Inter than a year ago. So a year ago when these two teams played, it was very much this kind of lower division team that uh, MLS fans, like local fans, look down upon. Even the Miami FC, as I can speak to, won, I mean, we won like seven trophies when I was working there. Um, but it is, they are all at the lower division level. Like I said, we got to the Open Cup quarterfinals uh, one of those years I was there. Um, but um, this year, there was much more recognition of the teams uh, because uh, Inter-Miami is not on local television, right? And they're on Apple, and Miami right. FC, every single game is on locally on television. Right. No, absolutely. And that's what you want. You want a lot of eyes uh, aimed at this cup competition, uh, especially for the local teams that are being a part of it and when they do host it. And yeah, that 2017 run by Miami FC back then before Cincinnati uh, beat them uh, on a one nil victory by Jimmy fall, uh, of course, uh, in that quarterfinal matchup that yeah. was rescheduled due to, of course, thunderstorms that and deluge of rain just coming down all over the place and just not really a, a fun night, unfortunately, it, for the original the date. Be, yeah, I still maintain, Daniel, I know we have to go in a minute, but I uh, still maintain if it had been played the night it was scheduled, we'd probably win, and then we're traveling to New York to play Red Bulls. But, you know, that's what happens, and credit to Cincinnati. You know, they – Came, came came back down here for a second game, which is tough to travel and beat us. Uh, uh, maybe a goal kind of against the run of play, but they beat us and, and, and sure play to them. And that was uh, – uh, we were hoping for another run like that this year for Miami FC six years later. It didn't quite happen, but uh, but a great night nonetheless. Well, let me let me ask you this before you go. And I know you're mostly taking looking at Miami FC, but, you know, Inter-Miami, they're going to be traveling – um, to take Oshies and they're traveling. They'll be hosting the Charleston Battery uh, for their fourth round matchup. Um, you know, what have you seen from Charleston recently? We know how dangerous they are. We know how tough Charleston is in USL Championship League. I mean, what are you expecting out of that one? Do you think Charleston's going to give them a game? You're going to think they're going to threaten them really good, or do you think yeah, they might? Uh... I, 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 mm-hmm. I, I've seen Charleston twice this year uh, against Tampa Bay both times. Now, the second game, I have to admit that I had to watch on demand the next day because there was a deluge I was stuck in in Fort Lauderdale Airport, which I think the whole world knows about. I was stuck in a parking garage for 10 hours while the Rowdies were playing, uh, 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 were playing the battery uh, about 200 miles away. But Charleston are a really organized team. And the other thing I like about Charleston is there's a lot of athleticism going forward. So when they counterattack, they counterattack at pace. And uh, the moves are all pretty well scripted. And I, and given what I saw Inter Miami in this game against Miami FC, I think Charleston have a chance to beat them. Uh, and obviously, Charleston has such a history in this uh, competition. I mean, when I think about their record in in the the third and fourth round historically of this of this tournament, um, they are basically the gold standard, right, for lower division teams going back. To, uh, I know we talk a lot about Rochester winning the, the tournament in 1999, but you could start from 2001 onward and start looking at the batteries runs in the Open Cup every year, and they would usually knock off a team in a division higher than them very often. And I remember the run uh, in 08 
Uh, I went to one of their games, actually, in 08, uh, at, at the dearly departed Blackwad Stadium. They got to the final that year and uh, lost to D.C. United. They had a run in 2015, and I think they had a run in 2010, maybe, also. I mean, they are really good in these situations. So, uh, this is going to be a tough test for Inter-Miami. If they get that by Charleston, though, I think that's pretty impressive, and, and uh, maybe we'll get Phil Neville some job security. Maybe so. We'll see what happens moving forward. But as always, Carter, thank you very much for joining me tonight. A little change of pace, which I'm happy about. But uh, definitely next week, we've got some serious soccer to talk about. And it's definitely going to be uh, a topic where I think uh, everyone's going to enjoy. And, uh, you know, got to keep frauds out of our leagues, that's for sure. But anyway, besides that, thanks for your uh, participation tonight. And I'll talk to you again soon. Yeah, I'll talk to you soon. Look forward to being on next Monday as well. Absolutely. Carter Krishnar from World Soccer Talk on the Miami Classico as it was a 2-2 draw through regulation and extra time between Miami FC and Inter-Miami, but Inter-Miami advances on penalties by a final of 5-3. Now, let's talk about maybe a new threat in the U.S. Open Cup this year. And that new threat is Memphis 901 FC. And maybe, just maybe, they have themselves a goalkeeper that they believe in that has had MLS experience and is definitely putting them into favorable positions in the Open Cup. And it got started, first of all, all, in the second round of the U.S. Open Cup for the Battle of Tennessee. And that was one Knoxville, their first opponents, at Knoxville. And that one, my friends, was unbelievable. They did have a 1-0 lead in the 38th from Dylan Borzak. Uh, Ilya Illich with the penalty converted in the 57th minute. But in the final moments of second half extra time, in second half stoppage time, Jeremy Kelly pulls out the big goal in the 120th minute in second half stoppage time. And that prevented penalties. Now you go to the third round. You go to the third round and there they are. Once again, the one and only Memphis 901 FC, what they did and what they have done was unbelievable. They were able to go out and pull off another victory in extra time as they went out there against Atlanta United and they pull off the biggest cup set of this edition of the U.S. Open Cup. Their goalkeeper is none other. Then former D.C. United goalkeeper, Bill Hamid. And Bill Hamid so far is leading them into a huge, big run right now. Like I've said already, you took out one Knoxville in the second round in extra time. You do it again in extra time against Atlanta United, an MLS Cup champion, an Open Cup champion, an early goal by Tyler Wolf in the third minute for Atlanta United. You all thought it was all over and done with. So did I. Until Philip Goodrum converts 
in second half stoppage time to make it 1-1. And then it was Knight Pickering 10 minutes into the first half of extra time and gives them that 2-1 lead. You leave it all for Bill Hamid to handle everything. And my goodness, the run that Memphis 901 FC is having has just been unbelievable. We talk about last year's Sacramento Republic side. We're saying that they're on their way to do a repeat now. But what would happen if Memphis 901 FC comes into play? What would happen if Memphis 901 FC comes in and pulls off an amazing, an amazing run to go out and do some damage in the Open Cup? What could it be if they are able to do so? With Bill Hamid in goal right now, and yes, he is in the second division of American soccer, with his expertise as a veteran goalkeeper, that is an advantage that I think no one probably saw coming. Because obviously, you're in a league at a level a little bit lower, but still strong enough to be dangerous. And when you're into the Open Cup, that veteran presence in Major League Soccer to bring into USL Championship is going to be huge. Absolutely huge. And I'm telling you right now, folks, Memphis 901 FC is looking great. They are looking strong. And it's just one of those moments where you have to say, they could be a dark horse. Especially if they're going to be on the eastern side of the bracket or on the southern side of the bracket when we get to the quarterfinals. Now, I am not going to put it out there that I expect them to make it to the quarterfinals. I'm not going to put any pressure on them. They got to do their business in this current round right now. And that current round is going on the road to face their USL championship opponents in Birmingham Legion FC, who have also done a great job as well. But mark my words, ladies and gentlemen, Memphis 901 FC doing some damage and knocking off one of the tougher sides in all of MLS in Atlanta United. Atlanta United proving since day one they came into expansion into the into MLS. That they mean business. That they want to grab as many trophies as possible. And they want to prove Atlanta, that they are still the top dogs, MLS. But unfortunately for them, they are, for the very first time in the Open Cup, 
one and done. For the first time ever, for Atlanta United, they are one and done. No, I don't think they took Memphis 901 FC lightly. No, I don't think they assumed this was a cakewalk. No, I believe they actually went out there. They went to play a game. They went to go out and get a victory. Atlanta gave them a run for their money. And Atlanta just got snake bit when it really counted. The final moments of regulation and then got snake bit again in the first 10 minutes of extra time. Period. They were snake bit. But that doesn't mean you got you can't give credit to Memphis for the type of game they played because they were still in it. They were still in it. They were still fighting. They were still attacking. They were still moving forward. And they found a way to break through, and they found a way to get the victory. It had to take an extra 30 minutes to do it, but they did it. And you've got to give Memphis 901 FC tons of credit for going out there and finding a way to get that victory and advance to the next round of the Open Cup here in 2023. That's without a doubt an amazing victory for them. I don't think they've been uh, good enough in the Open Cup. I think they've been one of those that have started decently but then have fallen short. But maybe this could be their year that they go deep into the Open Cup. Maybe. Maybe. There's another club out there that wants to say, no, we're still the hot favorites in Sacramento Republic. Or it could be this next club who are also on a run, who could knock off Memphis 901 FC. And that, my friends, is Birmingham Legion. And joining me right now to talk about Birmingham Legion is Taylor Hodges from the Hammering Down Pod covering Birmingham Legion. Taylor, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me uh, tonight. And that was a very, very impressive victory over Chattanooga FC of Nyssa as it goes into penalties after a 1-1 draw through regulation and extra time. Well, first off, thank you so much for having me on. I was really excited when you reached out to me. Could not be more excited not only to be chatting to you, but to be moving on to the fourth round of the U.S. Open Cup for the first time, not just in club history, but city history, and playing our much-heated rival in a Southern Harm Derby uh, in Memphis. Um, Yeah, the match was incredible, where Chattanooga is easily the best team in Visa and is honestly one of the best teams that Legion have faced all year long and could be one of the best that they will face all year long. Their center backs are legit. Their their goalkeeper is incredible. And while Legion held them to really only three chances all match long, one of those chances was a penalty that came late in the game, which was a little bit controversial. So really both teams played to their strengths. Legion put on a wonderful attacking display. Chattanooga put on a brilliant defensive display, and it went all 120 
and ending in penalties where Trevor Spangenberg came up big at the very end, saving a penalty to walk it off for the three sparks. Absolutely. And you got to say, I mean, look, we always talk about uh, St. Louis, California, Florida. Um, We also talk about what goes on here where I am in New York and New Jersey. But uh, to me, it sounds like Tennessee, Georgia, uh, up and down the state of Tennessee, it looks like, and, you know, and even in Alabama where you are in Birmingham, there seems to be a tons and tons of talented players that we are just not paying attention to wholeheartedly. Yeah. I mean, when you think about Alabama, right, uh, Birmingham has had a lot of players. Um, you look at Braden Cervania, who played for the U.S. men's national team for a while. Jaden Cervania, his brother, is on the Puerto Rican national team and starts. You have Tanner Tessman, who was in Serie A last year and uh, currently a starter in Serie B. And one of the prized jewels of Birmingham is Chris Richards, who, born and raised in Birmingham, went on to now plays for Crystal Palace in the Premier League. There's a lot of untapped potential, specifically in Birmingham and in Alabama. And I think it's gone under the radar, and it kind of gets joked about in USL League One circles of that League One is becoming just the Southeast, um, you know, league, essentially. But for a long time, the Southeast and Alabama, Georgia, Tennessee were largely underrepresented because of college football, because of professional American football. And now, hey, thanks to the U.S. Open Cup and some professional leagues giving shots to Southern teams, we're seeing a lot of talent crop up and really thrive on the big stage. Now, I want to ask you this. Obviously, Tom Sohn is your head coach, and um, you know yep. he is one of those head coaches who has always been, um, if I can say it, probably a taskmaster. You know, he's a no-nonsense type of guy. I remember him managing D.C. United. Yep. But what has he done to make this Birmingham Legion team really, really playing some excellent soccer, and they're finding ways to get victories now in the Open Cup? Well, Tommy Stone, um, for people who don't know, he is one of the most successful coaches and uh, people in the U.S. Open Cup. I think he's won the U.S. Open Cup four times now between being a coach and a player, and he has one of the highest winning percentages in this competition, most of that happening at the MLS level. Um, But Tommy Stone is a coach that keeps, you know, the players playing at a high level. He holds them at a very high regard. There were moments that I was at training before, and there was a guy playing for us. You might have heard of him, Juan Agudelo, and he was ripping into him. Yeah, he was ripping into him. Just no one was safe from Tommy, and it wasn't in a hateful way, but it was a moment of if U.S. men's national team guy, someone who was supposed to be the next one, the next great one, can get it from Tommy Stone, so can 17-year-old Matthew Corcoran who is starting for the three sparks himself. No one is truly special on the team and gets that special treatment. And that's part of what makes him so great because this is a mix of youth and a lot of veteran heads, and everyone gets that same treatment. And I think that's part of what makes it so special to be around and finally having the talent that matches the mindset of the head coach along with the general manager and president of the club, Jay Heaps, who's been around the block a time or two as well, 
it's just a holistic club that the ideas from the very top goes all the way down to the very bottom in the academies, which now go down to like the U9 level. It's become a truly holistic approach, and you, everybody is fully bought in at this point. How has the transition been going from UAB's soccer field to the brand-new uh, college football stadium? I know it's used a lot for UAB football. Uh, the USFL League gets over there now. Of course, uh, Legion is playing over there in downtown Birmingham. How has that transition been for that club over there with that new stadium? It's it's a funny thing, right, because for the fans, a lot of them hate it because – the concessions are not great, the parking is expensive, and the stadium is just way too big, being a 47,000-person stadium. I mean, you see it near your neck of the woods in New England. You know, the Revolution are playing really well this year, but they're not putting a whole lot of fans in the stands. At least it doesn't look like it because of how big uh, Gillette Stadium is. For fans, it's a it seems to be not as a fun of experience, but when I'm on the pitch uh, during the matches filming and, you know, trying to take notes when I can, it's an amazing environment because there are 8,000 people there and you're getting close to 10,000 people and you're averaging more people at this stadium than you ever did at UAB. And UAB, the field was unplayable. In fact, right now UAB came and played at their own stadium because the pitch is in such bad condition. And that would probably mean the same thing if Legion were still at UAB. And the the thing is, is that what it's doing for the club, getting more people through the gates than ever, there are more people coming to matches than could ever fit in the stadium at UAB. That's a win for the club, but it's definitely a losing battle for fans where it's not as intimate and it feels like a soulless cavern where it feels like the two ideas are not really matching up for each other. And I believe that obviously building your own stadium would be perfect and everybody would want that. But I also think that protective allows Legion to grow the most. So a few years down the line when they can build that stadium, they will have more than enough people already coming to the match to fill it as opposed to if they were still at UAB, they would need to find fans to show up, if that makes sense. Absolutely. That does make sense. And that's what I've been stressing for all the time. I really believe we need to build more stadiums meant for the game here in the United States than uh, borrowing other people's facilities, whether it be college football stadiums, NFL stadiums, or even minor league baseball stadiums. Uh, Back to the match. Um, Obviously, Promise uh, Kassin gets the opening goal in the 31st minute. And then Nagelstad from Chattanooga gets that penalty in the 68th. It's 1-1 at the end of regulation. It's still 1-1 through extra time. And when you get to the penalty kick shootout, what was your mindset to see what Birmingham was going to do against Chattanooga? Because obviously uh, it's always a crapshoot when you get to the penalty kick shootout. So it's funny because I felt weirdly confident because the person that was in that, Trevor Spangenberg, he is normally our backup goalkeeper. He has started majority of the matches this year because our starting keep our starting keeper has been injured in Matt Van Okel. And last year in the USL championships, it went all the way to penalties against the Pittsburgh Riverhounds, where back against the wall, and if the ball goes into the back of the net, the shootout's over. Trevor Spangenberg saved two in a row. And 
coming into this season, Trevor is having the best uh, form of his career. He has never played better than he has right now. And when we got into the penalty shootouts, it was like this is a moment where this player thrives, and he's already in the form of his career. I felt very confident. And as opposed to the Pittsburgh match last year where we took off a lot of our uh, starting players who take our penalties, we kept them on because before we were holding on just parking the bus and hoping to make it through a regulation. This time the team was going for it 100%, and we had our starting guys. Um, the only person that was really attacking that we took off was Prosper Kasim, who did get that uh, opening goal, as you mentioned. Um, I was in a very confident place, even though I was still nervous, but I was still in a very confident place uh, trusting in our goalkeeper, who has proved to be wonderful in these shootouts and having guys on the team who can just simply put the ball in the back of the net when they're asked. Very true. And then, of course, both sides make it in the opening round. Uh, the second round, both sides missed. One Agadello missed. That was a shame. Um, and they just kept on going and going until that final round. And was there any any chance of you feeling, you know, like you said, you were confident, but then that second round comes and it's nothing after two because it's 1-1. What was your emotions then? You know, after Juan missed the penalty, not once, but twice, the first time it got saved, but the keeper was well off his line, um, and then he retakes it, goes to the other side, tips his tips his pitch, if you will, and keeper uh, reads him the whole way and saved again. It really felt like there was a momentum shift as the PKs were happening directly in front of the Chattanooga fans. But even so, there was still this feeling that you see the guys that are coming up to take the penalties, even though it felt like the momentum was shifting, it never felt like Legion were out of it. And part of that was also because the guy who's going out to take it next, Dixon for Chattanooga, rockets it off the bar, and it felt like we got away with one. And the moment it feels like you've been let into the back into the match after giving the other team a match, the Chattanooga fans went very silent, and it felt like all the momentum that you lost was immediately back on your side. So it helped that after one missed, that Chattanooga immediately missed as well because it felt like all that momentum was just brought back into yourself. Absolutely. And then, of course, that final round, uh, Enzo Martinez makes it five, uh, four, three. And then, of course, the celebrations began when Lionel Alvarenga missed his penalty. And uh, what was the tension like in the in the crowd? Um, after Enzo scored, Enzo is just um, – he has been a heel as long as he has played soccer. He is everything that you think of of a South American player. He is as frustrating as you think. And seeing that ball go into the back of the net, the Chattanooga fans just absolutely hated him. And there was a moment as Trevor walked up um, that was you were just thinking, he's going to save it. And as soon as he saves it, there was no immediate celebration from Trevor Spangenberg. It was just swagger walk off, staring down the guy who took the penalty, just staring him down the entire time. And honestly, that moment of swagger, of walk-off, of I'm not going to celebrate, I'm just going to look you dead in the eye, the rest of the team kind of took that on. The uh, rest of the fans, everybody just saw the way Trevor reacted, 
And while it was a celebration, there was a moment of business as usual, we we're supposed to do this, and let's go into our next uh, match super confident, and that they did. And it was a really interesting and a really fun way to end the match. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely incredible, and what a match that was. You know, I was just saying, your match – and the Miami FC inter Miami match, you know, those are the only two matches within a six day span between the second and the third rounds that we had penalty kick shootouts. We've had a clean yep. second round, nothing on match day one in the third round until your match and the inter Miami Miami FC match. That was unbelievable. Yep. Just yeah. Just unbelievable. The, uh... Mm-hmm. Yeah, that Inter Miami match was incredible too. Uh, I was kind of gutted for the Miami FC because I really wanted them to get one over on that uh, Miami Classico, but it just did not work out for them. But I mean, it was an incredible match in of itself. It really, really was, and uh, hopefully we'll get another one like that in the next round because Birmingham Legion will be hosting Memphis 901 FC. I don't really thing to ask you about that question because you know this is a rivalry, I believe, between. Birmingham and Memphis. For those of us that are not aware of how big of a derby this is, let the audience know what to expect. Look, it's happened before. I mean, there's been fights between fans. There's been altercations between fans and players. Um, Ever since back in, I believe it was the MPSL between Memphis City and uh, Birmingham Hammers, the tensions between the two fan bases have always been high. Um, this has been really just a battle of pride where that when both teams were bad, they were bad together. When both teams were good, they were good together. There were moments of one team being much better than the other, and the one team that was worse won both matches. And it has been a constant series of spoiler makers and ruining seasons and – there have been times of rumored of play, uh, fans uh, saying just horrible things about the players going as far as to talk about parents' deaths and stuff like that. Like it is a tense, brutal, ugly rivalry in the Southern Harm Derby and emphasis on the harm because both teams hate each other. There is no love lost between the two. And one of the players to watch out for is Bruno Lapa, who got his professional – career started Birmingham Legion FC his first ever professional match came against the uh, came against Memphis 901 FC where he scored not one but two goals against Tim Howard of all team of all players uh, to give Legion a three uh, nil win and now he plays for Memphis and this is going to be his home it's going to be his homecoming his first return back to Birmingham since joining the other side and there is going to be zero love lost for him. And it's going to be a brutal match between the two. Well, thank you, Kayla, for joining me tonight. Good luck in the next round. Good luck with the rest of the USL Championship season. It should be a fun one to watch. Thank you so much for having me. Kayla Hodges from the Hammering Down podcast covering Birmingham Legion as they're going to take on next Memphis 901 FC. I want to thank my next guest who 
called in and recorded with me. This is the head coach of Monterey Bay FC, former San Jose Earthquake head coach, Frank Yallop, defeating, defeating the San Jose Earthquakes. One goal to nil, and this is the interview I had with them tonight. Welcome back to the American Soccer Show here. Daniel Feuerstein on the U.S. Open Cup Round 3 Review Show. I am very grateful and excited to have this man on. He is the head coach of Monterey Bay FC, Frank Yallop, as they defeat the San Jose Earthquakes by a final of a goal to nil. Frank, welcome to the show, and how are you, sir? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me on, and uh, yeah. It was a fun night and a great result for our club. Oh, it was absolutely brilliant. I got to tell you, watching it from start to finish, so much action, so much drama. And what was it like for you to battle against uh, basically your former club you've managed that you brought two MLS Cup championships to? Yeah, it's kind of a bittersweet, you know, because I, uh, I always want the Earthquakes to do well. Um, in the obviously MLS and any other competition they're in, um, but this was kind of obviously competing against them was was um, I've done it before with Chicago when I moved to there and I I went back and uh, played against the Quakes, but um, yeah, it felt uh, it felt kind of weird, but I'm really really happy with our performance um, as a smaller club and the um, the good thing is we're at home and we're pretty good at home. We play quite well. Um, so I wasn't super surprised that we won, but obviously we're playing against a quality opponent um, and one that I'm very familiar with club-wise, not so much player-wise now because it's been a long time since I, since I left, but um, have a lot of associations with the coaching staff that's there, um, having drafted and coached a few of them and played with one of them. So kind of, kind of, kind of a fun night um, and great to win. Oh, that was absolutely fantastic to see you guys go out there and battle all 90 minutes. And to be honest with you, I got a little nervous. I thought there was a moment there where the uh, earthquakes are going to probably pull an equalizer and force you guys into extra time, but not so, not so at all. Talk about your goalkeeper, Anthony uh, Sia, because um, he's not listed on your roster. Is he your third-string goalkeeper getting an opportunity here to uh, challenge for a starting spot, or is there injuries? No, no, he's on the roster. Um, he played a lot of games, um, probably about 15 last year. Hmm. I've got two young goalkeepers. Um, both are very, uh, very good. I like both of them. But Anthony, um, he played a lot of games last year and started the season with us this year. And had a little bit of, um, not dip in form, but I felt he wasn't quite as confident as he was. So I I, um, I played my other goalkeeper for three or four or five games. And then Anthony got back in against the Quakes and did really, really well, obviously. So, uh, yeah, no, he's, he's listed and he's, uh, he's a, good, a good young goalie. Yes, he is. Uh, 14 shots against, four on goals, made two big, big saves. I really thought... He was just superb in goal for you that night. And, of course, that big, big goal by Christian Valeski in the 26th minute, just off the hands of the Quakes keeper, and he just gets it in the net. That had to be a hell of a goal for you to see that happen. No, it really was. I mean, you know, it was a pretty even game up to there. Um, uh, you know, Christian right now is on really good form. He scored in the last round against Fuego. I think it was a goal and an assist. Um, so yeah, he's right in form. You know, he reads plays well. It's obviously, it's a little bit of a mistake by the centre back who let me go under his foot. 
but Christian was alert to it and, and finished well. Um, yeah, obviously their keeper got his hand to it, but um, couldn't stop it from going in. So obviously a great uh, a, a great start to the match in the 25th minute. Um, but then you've got a long, long time to go, and you know any time you're playing this quality, it's, uh, it, it seems like it's uh, eternity uh, for that final whistle to go. You know, you're no stranger to cup competitions, whether when you played in England for Ipswich Town and obviously managing an MLS, whether it be for the Galaxy or the Earthquakes. When you get to those final 10 minutes in regulation, what was going through your mind? What were your thoughts on the match of, oh my goodness, can this really be happening to us? Are we going to pull the biggest upset in this club's history? Yeah, it's a weird one. You know, I felt quite confident. I just felt um, we've been defending well all night. They're, they're going to get chances. I think they had a really good uh, chance from a set play free header, but maybe kind of a bit high for the um, centre back to to get on target late in the game, about ten minutes. Then they had another chance, uh, I think, at the back post, which we did well to kind of um, at least scamper over there and make it difficult. But I don't know. I just felt quite comfortable that we're going to see this through. Um, and you know, and it, and it worked. I mean, I just, I, I felt, I thought our guys were just tuned in to not making that happen, where we can concede a goal late and obviously taking it to extra time. And and by that time, they're, they're, they've got all their real starters back on the on the field, not back on on the field from their substitute positions. And um, yeah, they had a strong side at the end of the game, but we hung in there and, and saw it out. So it was great. Absolutely. Absolutely. That was just an amazing match there. And just to, you know, talk about your second round match, you won that one in extra time, uh, three goals to one over Central Valley Fuego. As you said already, Christian Volsky with a goal there, Alex Dixon with a goal there, Gleedle with a goal, all in extra time. When you're taking on a club that is in a division lower than yours, because you're the big boys at that point in time in round two, what do you say to your players when you're facing a club like that who's looking to knock you out? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a good team talk because it's like they're going to come with energy. It's their kind of biggest game of the season. So they're going to lift their game. They're going to go for it and play well. They played well before you guys thought. Um, I think similar to what the Earthquakes did to us where uh, Gleedle, Dixon, and Valeski were all subs and they come on late. Uh, in, in the, not late, but the middle of the second half, I think it was, or can't remember exactly when, but um, yeah, we had to take it to extra time, but I think the quality in the end showed through. Um, but yeah, it's it's never an easy game, and it's uh, you know it's, it's it's another club that I've or another city I'd worked in Fresno. Uh, with the, I was with the um, Fresno Foxes, and now there's obviously Central Valley Fuego, so it's another team I'm familiar with, and um, they were below us, and then I played against the team that was above us in the next round. So. It's kind of a little bit intimate right now with all the clubs I've gone gone to and been with. I'm kind of I'm just seem to be meeting up with everybody. So the LAFC one, um, I have no no affiliation with those guys, but um, obviously I was with the Galaxy, and it's a huge rival, so it's kind of cool. Um, what's it like with that supporters group over there, the fan base of Monterey Bay? I mean, we always talk about Los Angeles, we always talk about San Jose and San Diego, yeah. but but. What what is that area like for you when it comes to football and and their knowledge of the game? Yeah, it's good. I mean, it, it's, I think it's an education because I've never had a professional uh, sports team to follow, especially soccer. So I think it, they've really, really took into the team. I think these the games we've had 
in the Open Cup have really opened up people's eyes that we can compete and, and do pretty well. I mean, last, you know, the last or the first year we had in the league, which was last year, you know, we you're putting together a team late. It's never easy. You're playing, you know, seven or eight away games in a row to kick off the season. I had a few injuries. I wasn't sure of some of the guys I, 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 I signed. But, but the good thing is, you know, I kept a co- the core of the team, added a bunch of, uh, not a bunch, but probably six or seven new players to that. And we've gone a lot stronger and we're a lot more deep in our um, bench and a lot more uh, competition for places, which makes you know, any player um, play better. Um, so I think that just the team's growing. The fans have really locked into what we're doing. Um, again, this, I think we're showcasing the team nicely with the Open Cup run. And I think that um, it's getting stronger and stronger each, each game. And I think, you know, we, we average close to 4,000 people right now. It only, owes, it only holds 40, uh, sorry, 5,500. So I think at some point we're going to get close to selling out most games. And, and, and I feel the love from the community already in, in the stadium. But even walking around, if I've got my stuff on or the players do, um, we get recognized and, and saying, you know, we're doing a good job and stuff like that. So that's, that's always good to hear. And I think it's... Uh, just going to keep growing. That's fantastic to hear. Um, just to go back to your playing days, I, I've said you've played for Ipswich Town in England. Uh, probably had a moment where you've been promoted to the Premier League. But what is it like for you when you've had to play those FA Cup games? What are those wonderful moments you've had that you can remember knocking off uh, a Premier League team or maybe a Championship League team, depending on where Ipswich Town was currently in the in that league that they were in at the time. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's obviously a long time ago since I played, but um, in, any it's, they call it in England the cup magic, and it's like any time you're a lower team that goes against a higher ranked team in your division or obviously a division above, you tend to raise your game and um, and really go for it and and and. Um, and you know, obviously play well, but try to win. But uh, I'm not sure we had too many giant killing situations when I was at Ipswich. Um, we've played some really tough games in, in the FA Cup, League Cup and all that stuff. But um, we did, you know, obviously we did pretty well. I got to the quarterfinals of the FA Cup. Um, never made it past that. Never got to a semi-final. Um, so that was, I got to the semi-final of the League Cup against Norwich two-legged so that was a, a, a wonderful time as well to do that but just in general um not too many giant killing stuff from 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 my playing days but you know the club i don't know if you know this but the club uh if so just got promoted to the championship out of league one so i'm really happy for you know everybody associated with that club obviously it's, it's really really dear to my heart it's all it's the only team I played for in England. I went on loan for a bit, but it's the only team I played for in England, and I played for one in, in the States, which is Tampa. So I feel pretty proud of being a bit of a one-club man. So it's, it's good to see them promoting, and I'm looking forward to seeing them next year in the in the championship in, uh, in England. Absolutely. Uh, and now let's move ahead now to the fourth round, and um, you're going to be taking on the defending MLS Cup champions in Los Angeles FC, uh, currently also... Uh, in the CONCACAF Champions League right now. they got to play a second-leg match against the Philadelphia Union. But I, I think you're no stranger to what goes on in MLS. I know you probably keep an eye on over what's going on uh, yeah. in MLS. What, what are your concerns, or what do you think you can do to knock them off their perch in the fourth round? Well, I mean, you, you're talking about, you know, the best team from last year, obviously, in 
in MLS and, you know, I think there's semi-finals, isn't there? Semi-finals of the CONCACAF Championship. So, you know, real, real quality team. We know that. Um, just for us to just enjoy the occasion. I told the guys before the earthquake game, you know, don't, don't freeze and think you have to win this game. Go out and win it, which, which means go play. And whatever happens, happens. Don't, don't try to think the thing, you know, through before you've stepped on the field. Get on there, do your best, work hard, give me 100% or give each other 100%. Good things happen. So we're really looking forward to the game. I think it's going to be an exciting match. As you already mentioned, the, the other round against the Quakes was no different to this one. We are not sitting back to see what happens. We're going to get after it. We're going to press them a little bit, see what they're made of. And obviously they're a very, very good side. That uh, will be a big, big test for us. And um, we're just looking forward to it. And I'm really looking forward to sort of our guys, that, you know, uh, sample another MLS team and, and, and feel the quality of them. But, you know, we, we've got quality in our team and I, uh, and I want our guys to believe that and show that when they play in the game. And finally, for me, I guess, uh, Walmer Martinez uh, already on uh, two yellows uh, in round two, last match against San Jose. Um, depending on what happens, obviously knockout cup competitions are always um, interesting to watch. But um, I, I know you can't tell him to be aware of his situation, but what would be worrying some if he does, if you do advance and then he gets booked in his third match and he's not available for the next round after that? Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, you know, what I like about Walmer is, is he gives everything he's got. So it's maybe over-enthusiastic challenges. He's not a dirty player at all. Um, he's just super hardworking and just does his best to, for the team and for obviously for himself and for me. Um, just tough to, to change the way he plays. Um, so, you know, I just give him a warning that if you do get a yellow, you're, you're, you know, you're out for the next game. But, you know, I want our guys to give us everything they've got and, if he does get a yellow, so be it. We're just filling the spot. You know, whether while we're starting or not, we're going to figure out the lineup um, probably on you know on Sunday, getting ready for the Tuesday game. So we'll see. I'm just super excited for our club. And you, know, and you mentioned it before that um, you know we got two massive games, earthquakes being one, and now against the MLS uh, current champions is is amazing for this you know obviously very young club and only been going sort of 18 months and. Um, I'm super proud to be running it I'm on the soccer side, and I'm really happy with the guys. Um, I'm proud of the way we've handled ourselves in, in, in you know, last season, but this season as well. We're doing pretty well in the league. You know, we're up there about sixth place, I think, um, and then having a nice cup run. So all things are good. I'm super excited about the next week or so. Hopefully we can advance, but it's going to be tough against, honestly, a, a, a very, very good side in LEFC, and we're just looking forward to the game. That is the head coach of Monterey Bay FC, Frank Gallup, joining me here on the U.S. Open Cup Round 3 Review Show. Frank, thank you for your time. I really do appreciate it, you taking some time uh, with me on the show, and good luck in the fourth round. Oh, it's my pleasure. Anytime, and uh, I really appreciate it. And thanks for your good words about the earthquake game. I appreciate that, and hopefully we can have another chat after uh, the LAFC game. I hope so, too. Thank you once again. Come man. Thank you. Once again, Frank Yellup, head coach of Monterey Bay FC. They defeat the San Jose Earthquakes by final of a goal to nil. What a wild and wacky nightcap it was in the third round. The Seattle Sounders outlasting San Diego Loyal. It took extra time. It took a penalty to do it, and they advance. Seattle Sounders, once again, the four-time Open Cup champions, with a 5-4 victory to 
join me to talk about this, of course, uh, someone old, someone new, and no, I'm not talking about their ages. Uh, the one and only Lenny Lehman joining me, of course, formerly of MLSRumors.net, and joining me is his friend Jordana Lesesny. Folks, thank you for your time. Welcome to the show, and uh, it's yeah. great to have you both on. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a little late. Uh, like, like a spin, 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 that's wonderful, and great job, of course. I remember being uh, both – I remember, Lenny, you asking me to be a part of that, and I said, sure, and why not? And it was a fun time when you were able to do that, and I was really happy to join you both to do that uh, MLS Rumors site way back when, such a long time ago. Jordana, uh, will go with you first. How wild and wacky was it seeing everything happening in front of you at Starfire that night? Right. Well, well, I actually wasn't at Starfire that night, but I did watch the entire match online, and I was in Raw. I've seen a lot of matches at Starfire and Impact, and I wish I was there, because it was just everything. You had everything in that game. Absolutely. That sounds great. I'll give an echo from your phone there. Uh, Jordana, hopefully we can get that corrected um, uh, throughout this show. But anyway, Lenny, just to go to you, you know, 2-0 leading on San Diego in the first half, two good goals in about 11-minute span, Uh, Freddy Montero, Ethan um, Doblare, I hope I pronounced his name correctly, Uh, just it looked like, yeah, it it just looked like and it felt like – a walk in the park at first when uh, those two put those balls in the back of the net. Well, actually, I don't think it was a real walk in the park. I thought San Diego actually had the better part of the play in a lot of the, the game. They just Their uh, goalkeeper um, and their back line just made a couple of mistakes, and the Sounders capitalized on them. I mean, you know, you look at the goals, and, the, you, know, uh, you know, the one by um, Double Air went right to the keeper's hands, um, and he just dismissed it. I mean, he just let it go right through his hands, and Double made a nice, easy volley out of it, half volley out of it. And you know, no, uh-huh. so no, I, I absolutely. Thought, and I go ahead. Yeah, on the first goal, you, go ahead, just, you know, the other one was just bizarre. I mean, it was just, you know, the way the game even started out with Ariaga just. Immediately in uh, at 155 mark, uh, a minute 55 seconds in, passed it directly to Charlie Adams uh, of the Loyal, and he went right in on Cleveland, made a shot, and but it was uh, right at Cleveland, and uh, back off of the first 10 minutes, they totally dominated. But it, and um, you know, but when Vargas made that run down the middle and uh, did a give and go uh, to another sounder, then it did a real depth. Uh, chip pass over to Double Air's chest at the 15-yard box, uh, at the 50-yard uh, marker. Then he was taken down by Nick Moon uh, in front of uh, Kyle Adams, the center back, and they both just stood there. There was no whistle. They just both, both stood there, and Obed came up, didn't hear a whistle, so he shot it, 
It was blocked by Koke. And then it bounced back to double air while he was still sitting on the ground. He passed it over to Freddie, and Freddie put it uh, shot, went off the keeper again, and but it trickled in. It was just that's kind of the way the, uh, the whole game went for Koke. He just had a very difficult time uh, hanging on to balls, and uh, the Sounders just capitalized on it. But they were they were a really tough match for the Sounders, especially the. The interesting thing about Koke was that uh, he doesn't play uh, – he plays a sweeper-keeper role, but something I've never seen before, he doesn't actually play like a sweeper. He plays like a second uh, center back, and you can see the gold open the entire time that he's out uh, – that the uh, the loyal had the ball. And um, the founders didn't fall for that, of course, because they're both good with their feet. But just I think he just had a very off night according to what the announcers are saying. You there? Daniel, can you hear me? I'm sorry. Can you hear me now, guys? Yeah, yeah I, can, I can hear you now. Can, I, okay. Yeah. <laughs> sorry about that. My mic. No, that's my that this time that's on my end. Sorry about that. But anyway, Jordan, I wanted to go to you. Um, Joe Corona yes. converts a penalty in the 53rd minute. And then a heck of a name. I, I love this name, Paul Rothrock. That's a hell of a name. Yes, to me, that sounds like a hockey yes. name. Uh, he, what a goal from him two, two minutes later. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, you, you always want, like, a quick response um, when something like that happens. And as a neutral, you know, if you're a neutral, I'm not. I'm a Sounders fan. But if you're a neutral, you love that, right? Because, you're looking at, you know, a possibility of a cup set, and, and then here you have this response from somebody that most people, I mean, even a lot of Sounders fans wouldn't have known that name, right, uh, because he's a Tacoma Defiance player. So, yeah, I, I was just, you know, I, I was out of my seat when I saw that. It was crazy. Just just a great goal from him to make it 3-1. But, Lenny, more craziness came out of nowhere. Corona gets a second goal of the match. And, look, I don't want to you know, say it, but, I mean, let's be honest with ourselves here. I never thought Starfire would be silenced when Kyle Adams ripped that rocket in stoppage time in the second half. Oh, it was dead silent. The, the, the fans were, were stunned until uh, a few minutes into the, after the restart of the game. It was just... Uh, I hadn't heard that kind of silence in years from a Sounders fan, you know, uh, fans. But yeah, it was dead silence. In fact, the announcers made a, you know, a point of pointing it out. It's just they were stunned, and everybody was stunned after that screamer. It was just an incredible shot. Mhm. It really was. I couldn't believe what I saw. And then, of course, you know. I mean, look, I, I know you're Sounders uh, supporters, there, guys. You didn't want to go in extra time. I'm a neutral in this one, and every other neutral is like, oh, we're going to extra time. Let's go. Let's get some more. And, boy, more did we get. Um, big goal there, Jordana, by Reed Baker Whitting. And then, of course, unfortunately, uh, Simba Khan- Kasanzu gets that equalizer. But still, though, uh, fun and then joy, then heartbreak once again, uh, Jordana. <laughs> right. Yeah, that that is the roller coaster quite often now. 
of the Sounders in the open cup at Starfire, um, ever, you know, ever since the red card wedding, there's been a, a difference in the vibe at, at Starfire and uh, uh, Sounders games when, you know, the Sounders go down a, a goal. And, yeah, like, you know, um, Baker Whiting had, you know, pretty pretty good game in, in some sense. But, yeah, it's it's just one of those things where, you don't know what's going to happen. And I, I think a lot of Sounders fans um, sort of at that point got quiet because we've seen where a team that was, you know, definitely not the, the first team out there has been fielded at this point in the Open Cup, and then we've gone out to uh, a team. And it, was, it would have been heartbreaking had that happened here, right? Um, so mm-hmm. yeah, that's kind of like where where we were. I mean, it was it was a roller coaster ride. It was great again if you were neutral, but if you were Saunderson, that part was very aggravating. I think. No, I absolutely, I I completely understand uh, where Sounders fans would be at on a match like this. But then again, uh, second half, uh, extra time, stoppage time, Lenny, Freddie Montero mm-hmm. gets that penalty spot opportunity cool as you like, converts it, and that was the last play of the match, and it ends 5-4 Seattle. Um, obviously joy, but probably big relief at the end of that 120 minutes. Yes, it was. You could just kind of hear a, a subtle gasp, like you could almost feel you know, the, the, the crowd just going, yeah, and it's over, and then they started cheering, you know, because just the elation from that kind of a game, and, but you're exhausted by the end of that. As a, as a as a fan of the club, it's just it's, it's exhausting to get us enthralled, you know, enthralled by it. And so, yeah, I, mm-hmm. I felt that both had those emotions myself, and like, wow, we sneaked that one out. And uh, you know, hopefully, we won't <laughs> won't come down to the last second, you know, trying to get a goal. And and you know, after we've given them up the lead three four different times, it's uh, it was ridiculous, you know. Sure does. Uh huh. Yeah, no, absolutely. And Jordan, I wanted to ask you this though. Um, mm-hmm. You know, what do you yeah. what do you make about Schmetzer so far? I mean, obviously, winning a couple of MLS Cup titles. He, I know Ziggy Schmidt was there as well, but you know, Schmetzer really, you know, putting a stamp on this Sounders team in MLS play, Open Cup play, Champions League play. I know he had that great opportunity in the FIFA Club World Cup, and I, they did not disappoint at all, unfortunately, on the wrong side of a 1-0 scoreline. Uh, what can you say about Schmetzer and what he has done so far with this club back in the USL days and in MLS now? Yeah, so Schmetzer, you know, is a Seattle – he's a Seattle-like celebrity, right? And I was around back in the USL days – um, I was at the game where, you know, we beat Colorado 5-0 as a USL team in 2007 in the quarterfinals after eliminating Chivas USA 3-1 uh, to then get into the semifinals. So th- this is an organization, a club that's always taken the Open Cup extremely seriously. And at the end of that 5-0 game, we were all walking out of the stadium, marching out of the stadium chanting. So this is MLS, so that arrogance you know, that people uh, often accuse Donner's fans of. It didn't start with uh, us in 2009 and MLS. We, we always um, have felt that, you know, this team under Schmetzer could do anything, like literally could do anything. And then you saw last year with the CONCACAF Champions League win, 
that was the culmination of, you know, over a decade of, of hopes and dreams uh, that the club has expressed to the fans, and the, the fans have been, you know, the supporters have been behind the entire time. Like, we wanted to be the first MLS team to win that trophy. Like, and, and it ha- it's happened. So Schmetzer has been behind all of it. He's the architect. No, that's very, very true. And uh, Lenny, you know, once again, Sounders making Starfire um, a stronghold, I would say. I mean, personally, I wouldn't mind it being over at uh, Lumen Field, but, you know, once again, Starfire has always been that home away from home for the Sounders as they always find a way to get those big victories uh, at that facility in Open Cup play. Yeah, they've had, you know, a long history, like Jordana was talking about, of being in the Open Cup. And just the Starfire, uh, I think why they play their games there, is, as Brian said it a few times, is that you get that close environment and, and with the Open Cup and rather than with the big stadium. And I remember uh, back uh, a few years back uh, having the Open Cup there. We were behind Houston. And, you know, the Sounders fans literally rallied the team just – willed them into tying the game and going to extra time and going up and, and going on to win that game in, in overtime against Houston. And that atmosphere just can't be duplicated when you go to a, you know, a lower level round game at the, at Lumens field. But with Starfire, you can put in 4,500 people that are sitting right on top of the, of the field practically. And that, that atmosphere is just, it's well worth not getting the extra few thousand fans, I think. I agree with you. And that's a great place for those Sounders fans to uh, take a break from the uh, friendly confines of Lumen Field and get over the Starfire. That's just absolutely unbelievable. Jordana, the last question I have here uh, for you is this. Of course, uh, Seattle will be on the road taking on the L.A. Galaxy in the fourth round of the Open Cup over at Dignity Health Sports Park in Carson, California on Wednesday, May the 10th. What do the Sounders need to do to take advantage of this match and advance into the fifth round? Because as we all know, the Galaxy are not having a good season, but in open cup play, it's a different animal. And what do the Sounders need to do to make sure that animal stays caged? I would say that they need to respect that animal because when you have an MLS team that's not having a good season, especially like, you know, at this point in the season, they may look at the open cup and say, this is, the one thing that, you know, can propel us and, and give us, um, you know, some headwinds going back into MLS play. And I would say respect the wounded animal that is the LA Galaxy right now. Um, I would hope to see, you know, more first team regulars on that team since it is against another MLS team. And, um, you know, like most owners fans, I'm really looking forward to it because as much as, you know, we like to play Portland, we don't want to play them every single open cup, right? So it was, it was a relief in a way to see that, yes, we're going to be playing the Galaxy, not Portland, for the million times at this point. Absolutely. And, Lenny, what's it like not being a zombie, if you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a good feeling because, man, I'll tell you, when you just kind of zoned out, you're like, you know, after something like that, and then you realize what, what's transpired, you get that elation going, and then you realize we've moved on. And, it's good, you know. It's 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 a great feeling to go from that zombie feeling of oh no, and then, oh yeah, we're going through. 
Now, the only reason why I say that with Lenny is because when there were times that he would bring the – him and Jordan would probably bring the site back every once in a while for a couple of weeks or so, oh, and then they go okay. dormant again. So that's why I brought back the zombie thing because I was like, oh, look, it's yeah. rumor zombie. Here he is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, that's literally the only thing you need to come after this. If there's something, you know, that is extremely important that's happening in, in the world of MLS specifically, but in, in the world of U.S. soccer in general, we'll, we'll come back from the dead like a zombie and comment on it. That's right. Twitter. That's right. That's why I brought back the – that's why I brought – that's why I said the zombie comment because I just wanted to get yeah. you guys laughing on that one. Definitely. Sorry, I didn't get that. <laughs> That's okay. It's been a long time. You've been. It's been dead. It's been stone dead for a long time. It's. It's been. Don't worry. I'll. I'll let you know. I'll let well, you know. The last thing you did was United you come Front, back so, on. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. But, Thank you. No, absolutely. Thank you absolutely. very much, Daniel. But listen, you're so welcome, guys. Thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. I hope to have you both back on again soon. If it's not for Open Cup, hopefully for another uh, MLS regular show. But thanks again for coming on. I appreciate you both. You're welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. Jordana Lesesny and Lenny Lehman on the Seattle Sounders victory in the Lamar Hunt U.S. Open Cup over San Diego Loyal. An extra time by final of five goals to four. Here is the schedule for the fourth round on Tuesday, May the 9th, and Wednesday, May the 10th. First on Tuesday, May 9th, Inter-Miami hosts the Charleston Battery at 7 p.m. Eastern at DRV PNK Stadium in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Charlotte FC will host Orlando City, the defending Open Cup champions at Mecklenburg County Sportsplex in Matthews, North Carolina. At 7.30 p.m. Eastern at Montclair State University Soccer Park in Montclair, New Jersey, the New York Red Bulls will be hosting D.C. United. Uh, New England Revolution will be hosting the Pittsburgh Riverhounds at Gillette Stadium. At 8 o'clock Eastern, 7 Central, Chicago Fire hosting St. Louis City SC at SeatGeek Stadium in Bridgeville, Illinois. 8.30 p.m. Eastern, 7.30 p.m. Central, Minnesota United will host the Philadelphia Union at Allianz Field in St. Paul, Minnesota. At 10.30 p.m. Eastern, 7.30 p.m. Pacific, Sacramento Republic will host Colorado Rapids at Heart Health Park. And Monterey Bay FC will host LAFC at Cardinal Stadium in Seaside, California. On Wednesday, May the 10th, Loudoun United will host the Columbus Crew at Segra Field in Leesburg, Virginia at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. FC Cincinnati will host NYCFC at the TQL Stadium in Cincinnati. 8 Eastern, Birmingham Legion will host Memphis 901 FC at Protective Stadium in Birmingham, Alabama. At 8.30 p.m. Eastern, 7.30 p.m. Central, Nashville SC hosting FC Dallas at Geodis Park. Houston Dynamo hosting Sporting Kansas City at Shell Energy Stadium in downtown Houston at 8.30 Eastern, 7.30 Central. At 9 Eastern, 8 Central, Austin FC will host New Mexico United at the Q2 Stadium. And finally... At 10.30 p.m. Eastern, 7.30 p.m. Pacific, the LA Galaxy will host the Seattle Sounders at Dignity Health Sports Park in Carson, while the Portland Timbers will host Real Salt Lake at Providence Park at Portland, Oregon. 
I want to thank my guests tonight. I want to thank John Krasinski. I also want to thank Carter Krishnire. I also want to thank uh, Taylor Hodges, the head coach of Monterey Bay FC, Frank Gallup, Jordana Lesesny, and Lenny Lehman. Join me this coming Friday night for another edition of the 2023 CONCACAF Champions League, which will be the second leg semifinal review show. Once again, once again, my name is Daniel Feuerstein. Thank you very much for joining me tonight. And as always, please enjoy your football. Thank you. Take care so long and bye-bye for now.